I can't believe that the end of 2019 is already here, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the final broadcast of 2019. This is TV Channeling. My name is Tachi. And my name is Kevin, and we are looking back at 2019. Are you sure about that? Yes, we're you looking don't... back at the year in television on 2019. Okay, you didn't uh, sound in 2019, sure. <laughs> and we are counting down our top five TV moments of 2019. Okay, so, there's a lot to cover. This was a tough list to come up with to try and narrow it down. I just wow. Anyway. They- you, you know, there are like thousands of shows, uh, or thousands of, of moments, rather, that have come up in 2019. So I did the best I could narrowing down what I thought was important. Don't give a damn if anybody else thinks it's important. I do. <laughs> so this is this, this is my list. So you want to start, Kevin, or you want me to start? Oh, I, as always, I want ladies first. So Tachi, what is your number five fave TV moment of 2019? Okay, this is, it sounds a little weird, but my favorite TV moment of 2019 is the fact that there, this was the start of the No Host Award Shows. <laughs> the fact that, first of all, it, it takes a lot. I give it to all the celebrities, anybody who hosts an awards show and does it well, but it's a hard task because you have the lackluster audience who they'll you'll tell a joke and then <laughs> they, they don't help you and you feed off of the audience. And then you just have some people that you're, you may be a great person or a great singer or a great whatever in real life, but you're a terrible host. And so the fact that uh, shows like the Oscars, etc., have now gone to hostless and are trying this hostless thing. Good for you. So that is my number five t- TV moment: the hostless TV award show. Okay, well, we have to talk about the catalyst for this hostless moment uh, of television. Okay, let's talk um, about the, it. Uh, what caused this whole phenomenon to happen was the scurry to find a host to replace uh, Kevin Hart after his uh, homophobic uh, tweets of the past resurfaced. Yes. And um, he had the world's most difficult time apologizing for it which was all the academy was asking for and he just couldn't bring himself to do it and then then there was some kind of i guess half-assed apology which i feel like has given him credit because i maybe a quarter ass i'd say but anyway (laughs) how do you measure that (laughs) (laughs) well definitely not a full half okay (laughs) (laughs) it was like the upper half of a buttock or something okay thank you (laughs) and that's being generous Um, And so um, after that, I believe they went to a lot of different comedians, a lot of different potential hosts, and there just was not a lot of time. I guess they kept thinking that this was all going to, they're going to finally go back to their first choice, who was Kevin Hart. And then Kevin Hart was refusing, um, uh, you know, even after the half-assed or quarter-assed apology. And so they ended up going with no host. And uh, I believe the Emmys uh, followed suit. And honestly, I think for the most part, especially when it comes to those big award shows like the Oscars, the people in the audience, they're not there for the host. They're there to get awards. They're there to find out if they want. So sitting through, you know, a five to ten minute monologue 
Um, the laughter is nervous at best. And oftentimes the writing uh, of these monologues is not great. Not to mention the crappy banter that the people do when they walk up to the microphone. Wow, Tachi, you look great. Uh, I, I think you're channeling style. You know, just like <laughs> saying stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so honestly, the, the truth is they could really, the Oscars is a three-hour-plus show every single year. They could knock that out in an hour tops. Or how about they, you just go digital and don't let us see it at all if we don't want to? We don't need it. It's not for us. It's for you guys. Oh, no, I want to see it. I No, I'm not one of those. I'm not a hater. I want to see it, absolutely. Uh, but I'm not a just, hater either. But, they may, but I just it, don't think it's necessary it's, for it's, us to see. Go ahead. I just don't think it's necessary for us to necessarily see. I don't mind it being on, but it's just a, a, a you know what? Why don't you do an Oscar highlight show? Well, yeah, well, the, the the, well, basically they taken the show out of it. So I want more show. If you're going to basically have a long, tedious ass show, put more show in it. Make it uh, bring on the razzle. G- give me some more dazzle and uh, try and keep my attention. So honestly, I don't even watch the Oscars live anymore. What I do is mm-hmm. I watch it live ish. And what I mean by live ish is doing something, anything for like an hour or two hours before the Oscars, staying off of social media, because that'll ruin everything. Then I start watching it and from the beginning. And then I can fast forward through the tedious-ass speeches, um, uh, the, the, the awkward introductions. I can fast forward through the parts uh, uh, where they're like, oh, this is what sound editing is. And they take like three minutes to explain what it is. We, oh, we a, know you're a hater of A, all we already know what sound editing is. And B, we don't care. Now, that's something that doesn't need to be in the award show. The, I, I'm all for getting rid of awards that nobody cares about that isn't in the business. Because I've never met anybody who's like, oh, my God, you have got to see this movie, Kevin. The sound editing, impeccable. So, <laughs> no, nobody cares. Obviously, no no one's saying that sound editing isn't important and that uh, that good sound editing doesn't bring something to a film. But nobody, no one's like, who was the best sound editor last year? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Well, we've already but had people this discussion, in the business, Kevin. I'm sorry? We've already had this discussion where we, you, you, under, you know that I am really big on the importance of all of those things that make it. Because honestly, the, the actor is just one part of what makes the film in general. I know to the public, they don't know all those things. But if you had, okay, do it on a cell phone then. It would be abysmal. So the, the, those other people are what make the film as well. But I do get from an audience standpoint, they don't know, they don't understand the importance of all those things. So, yeah, that's probably not something they need to show. But how yeah, about but even, you show highlights even, in general? No, but even understanding the importance of it doesn't mean that you care about watching that person receive an award. Um, so I can understand how important it is, but it doesn't mean that I need to watch them like walk from the way back because they always see them really far away from the stage. So it takes them like 15 minutes to walk up to the stage because uh, they haven't practically seated outside on a folding chair um, to make room for the famous people. And then they come out there and they basically thank their wives and their moms and their kids, none of which we know, none of these people. And we would know that person, honestly, if the person who, if in fact, 
if the last 10 people to win best sound editor came uh, to me, uh, came to my door and started punching me, I wouldn't be like, oh my God, I was attacked by the best sound editors in the business, you guys. <laughs> they jumped me. I wouldn't know anything. I'd just be like, you know, like 10 guys in glasses attacked me. That's all I would know. But see, that's why I made the point that I understand that the general audience doesn't necessarily care about it. But it's all that's why I'm just that's, for, there's a technical Emmys. Ahead. We need a technical. There's a technical Oscars they, they, where they basically give awards to people that invent like all kinds of equipment that end up making movies better. All kinds of different computer programs that make movie editing better. So give that the, that same place. Give that award, best sound editing, that kind of thing. Put, give that uh, award at that event. Mm, I I disagree. That's not the way film works. It's a collaborative effort. And if you if it just was going to be the Hollywood Star Show, then you know that that's not film. You're not giving it for best film or whatever, or best any. You're not. You can't get best film and just have the actor. It's well, wait a minute. Then why aren't we giving a best boom mic operator? Why aren't they best boy? To, best boy. Um, uh, no, but uh, that that's a whole different case altogether. There are the people that are the main people in charge. They form that team. So you're getting for editing. That's everybody that's getting it that was involved in editing sound. Everybody who was involved in sound. So I'm I'm I disagree. I don't feel you need to show. Every, all of it or everything but if you're going to have an award show for film or for tv you have to recognize the people that made it work wh whether the public cares about it or not because remember this is not for the public well the, well, the emmy, well the emmy does the emmy uh do not give awards to sound editing i'm sorry and, and the, the best director of a television show you don't see that award given there's not a best director for a tell. There's best drama. There's best comedy. There's best actor. There's best actress. There's not best director of a TV film or miniseries. Uh-uh. No. That happens at the that happens at the technical Emmys, but not at the Emmys that we see. And that's fine. But the way that the Oscars work and the way they do it, and by the way, it's in a subsidiary of the same organization, the Academy. So it's basically the same thing. Just one is TV, one is film. So I I just um, disagree. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, well, I'm fine. Sorry. We're gonna have to agree to disagree because we've we've uh, we've clashed on this particular subject before. So we have. Uh, but chances are you're gonna win with this. They're not gonna ever smarten up and shorten that. No, that's why I'm saying you you can, you can weight. argue all you like, Kevin, but they're not going to change it. And so, we don't care about best foreign language film either. If if if, it, if it's good enough, it'll make it into the best picture category. If no, it's that's not, not okay. Nobody cares. No, I have to argue down on that because the film industry tends to be very Hollywood, which is very America centric. And so when you have a very America-centric mindset with people that don't have, like, exposure outside, you keep getting American films who will win. That will never work. That's why you have to do Um, Excuse me, wasn't there a little movie called Pan's Labyrinth? Okay, one. You're talking, you're, you're giving me, no, you're giving. Uh, life is Beautiful? Uh-huh, mm, yeah. Okay, no, but you're giving example. Look at the, mm -hmm. most of the films that win. Okay. Unless you had, unless you have a foreign language or foreign film category, you will have a lot of really good films who will never see the light of day. I mean, don't get me started on that. Oh, no, I'm not saying they shouldn't have the category. I'm just saying don't give that award on the actual, give that at the technical Oscars. That's why I'm, yeah, have no, that award. No, absolutely not. Because that's saying that foreign films are less important than American films. I vehemently disagree with you on that. No. 
No, if you're I, wait, do wait, it, wait a minute. Do you're it. twisting my words, Tachi. I didn't say non-American films are unimportant. I was saying foreign language films. So if it's a film made in Canada or in the UK or in Ireland or Scotland or anywhere where people speak English. So I'm English is more it. important than the scene? No, I, I disagree with that too. I disagree with that too. Um, they That's call them that Tachi, is... they call them subtitles for a reason. They're subpar. They don't deserve to be on the screen. The views expressed by Kevin <laughs> are not the views of Chitachi Egwu or TV channel. I'm, I'm, I will argue you all day with this. No, but I do agree. We don't need to see everything. I don't. I don't necessarily feel I need to see because just because you're a celebrity doesn't mean you're remotely interesting. You just happen to be a good actor that was in the film. Great, you won, but you're not a great personality. You don't engage me. I don't need to see you um, get the award. Do highlights and let that. That people who want to watch it, they can watch on the YouTube channel for the Academy. That's my final. Well, you say. know what, people? I say take my advice. Watch the show live-ish, so you can fast forward for all those awards that nobody cares about, and that no one will remember the day after. That will not be covered in the news. They will never. If you watch the news on entertainment, uh, an entertainment show, or the regular news after the Oscars, they never tell you who was the best sound mixer. They never tell you or mention because best foreign language film short they that because nobody cares no 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 no. people do care yes the loved ones of the people who were nominated absolutely no care. and the industry cares because they know that if they don't mix the sound right we're not going to sound is the one thing that will get you disqualified uh from you know even placing in a film festival Oh no, I'm not saying it doesn't matter the a good a good having a good sound editor. And of course, people in the business want the absolute best sound editor. So if they're gonna know who won the Oscar for best sound editing, they would know if the best sound editors came in there and tried to beat them up, they would know, oh my god, it was Jeff and his friends, the best sound editors in the business attacked me. But uh, those of us not in the business have no idea and do not care who the best sound editor was in right. 2019 and or 2018. Who are these awards for? The only reason they televise these awards is because they can get some ad sponsorship maybe for it, you know, and they do. Not as much as in the past because, you know, ratings have gone down. But that's the reason they do it, because of because of ad dollars that can be generated through but this. But the reason why they're but going is down is because them. people's attention spans are shorter. And when you're basically making us wait, for, wait through a whole bunch of awards nobody cares about. And that's another thing. I'll tell you right now the reason why you know people don't care about those awards is the how the show always works the same way. The first award given is like uh, for best actress in a supporting role. Then there's a whole bunch of loser awards that nobody cares about for like two and a half hours and then they finally start giving awards again that actually people care about best supporting actor best actress best uh uh, uh best actor best picture and Kevin, then you're and missing best director the point. the point is that these awards are made for hollywood if they are made for hollywood and to recognize hollywood all of Hollywood needs to be recognized, which is the sound people, etc. So the fact that it's televised is a non sequitur. That's beyond the point. They televise it because they can make money off of it. But it's for Hollywood, and Hollywood is recognizing Hollywood. That's why sound and um, editing and all those things are in there. So whether the audience cares about it or not, that doesn't matter because we're not doing this for you. Yeah, That's but, but, what but who saying. was the best caterer of 2019 on a film set, though? 
Should we That's reward them award. too? No, but, but see, no, but see, you're saying that you're making comparisons in terms of what's more important and what's it's not. It's not the actor is not the most important. If you're looking at it industry wise, they're important because they generate dollars, obviously. But there would be no dollars to generate if they had a lackluster film, which is where everybody else comes in. Okay, fine. So again, I get that the point that people want to see the best actor, best supporting those. I get. It. But it's not for them. So at the end of the day, you can complain. Oh, just like people complain about the People's Choice Awards, or people complain about who won what. It doesn't matter because you're not judging, and they don't care about your your um. Thing. It is about Hollywood that night. That is, they always say that that's Hollywood's night to come out and recognize. That's all of Hollywood. So nobody cares what uh, the people in uh, Des Moines <laughs> think that are watching. They're not making it for them. Well, Did I'm a, making it for the uh, Angelino like you. I'm sorry, Tachi. I'm a people. It should be my choice. Okay, well uh, then vote for the People's Choice Award. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. Oh, wow, it got heated. All right. So, it did. Um, so okay. can I ask you a question? Yes, Tachi. What is your number five top TV moment of 2019? All right. Um, I have to give this up to not one, but two road trips in one incredible season of television. And I got to give it up to Mrs. Maisel season two. Um, mm. At the beginning of season one, we get an episode called Simone, where her mother, uh, Midge's mother, has uh, taken off uh to france and nobody knows where she is she's yes. just left and um uh and it, the actress who plays her is um uh marine um uh hinkle and she plays rose weinstein uh, i'm sorry uh wiseman and we kind of knew her or we thought we knew who this woman was but they chose to uh, with her marriage coming under strain and her just not being able to deal with her daughter anymore, um, her grandchild, her husband's lack of attention uh, or care, she just goes to Paris. And they give us uh, 1950s Paris, and it is exquisite. Love she it. is exquisite in the episode. And uh, the woman was always, I always thought that she was beautiful, but she just, she glowed in all the scenes they had her in Paris. So if you're watching it for fashion, they were giving it to you. She was spectacular looking. Later, her daughter comes to Paris and there's even more shots of Paris and um, there's more clothes. But the But what was amazing about it was there was a lot of character development and the idea that you got to see their a marriage get rekindled and understand about the uh, the marriage, about what brought them together in the first place. And it kind of speaks to something that happens in reality, how when people fall in love and, and the drudgery of relationships and, and getting ahead and raising a family, people can lose sight of what brought them together. And in um, uh, 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 Midge's mother's part, um, she kind of lost sight of who she was. And so to kind of learn that she was an artist and the affection she had for a Paris and the whole romance of that city to start with. And it was so romantically portrayed, even down to like when the, uh, with no working refrigerator in her apartment and keeping her butter on the fire escape. And just like, it was, the, that episode was absolute, the episodes in Paris were absolutely everything. And just when you thought like, well, they can't outdo 
going to Paris in the 50s and having a couple of a certain age get straight up sexy uh, in the City of Lights, they're like, oh, yeah, we can do better. We can take you on another road trip. And this time they were going to the Catskills. And I defy anybody. The opening ep- episode of of the Cat Skills episodes, because there was uh, more than one, uh, the we're going to the uh, we're uh, we're going to the Cat Skills episode. It was season two, episode four. There's a whole sequence that's that is one shot. There are no cuts, mm. and it is so intricate. All the movements, so hundreds of extras, breathtaking, breathtaking. This is if this isn't filmmaking, I don't know. It's it's a television show, but it was absolute filmmaking. It was like it was like MGM, uh, old school Hollywood filmmaking with so many extras, so many moving parts, and it moved so effortlessly. You were walking into a functioning real resort, a real world. Um, it was spectacular. It moved the story forward, taking these characters out of their normal uh, New York milieu and seeing, you know, uh, a bygone day of how people vacationed that were uh, uh, of a certain class, with a certain financial background, and of a certain religion. And it was really neat to kind of be transported there. And um, it was an absolute joy. I enjoyed every second of the Catskills trip. Every second of it. That is a great pick. First of all, I love The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel as a a series. It's absolutely phenomenal. And you, you, that's the thing that struck me when I first watched it. That first episode and the Paris scene. And you understand, it made me want to be like, hmm, let me do a couple of months in Paris and rent uh, a uh, a uh, apartment in a walk up and walk down in the morning and get my one croissant and eat you know drink that with some cafe au lait and you know write or just create it it I can absolutely see why people fall in love with Paris. And I could also see why in the 1950s, you know, that was the time when you had a lot of um, African-American artists and things that would go there because of the very heavy racism in the U.S. They could go there and and just be and create. And, uh, you know, so I see the draw. I see the draw. Definitely. So great picks. Yeah, it was that was just the and I know how much you love fashion, but the the, oh, whole Simone, yeah. the whole Paris section, just the everything, and even when the even in the Catskills, these people had outfits for everything. The whole kind of their leisure wear outfits, the thought that went into everything that they wore for every kind of occasion, and changing clothes six seven times in the, in a day and during your summer vacation because you have an outfit to go to breakfast, you have an outfit to go for your walk, you have an outfit to get in a canoe, you have another outfit for lunch. I mean, it was just like it was crazy. It was so much fun, and not only was it fun and just eye candy. Literally, I was getting eye cab so much eye candy but it moved the story forward it moved these characters and it gave us new windows and new insights into who they are so it was giving it to us on every conceivable level yes the way you shop 
for homes in movies and television shows is the way I look at fashion in movies and television shows. And I was shopping in every single scene <laughs> for those. I mean, the, the dresses are just uh, amazing uh, back then, just the fashion and the tailoring. And th it's also given rise, there's already a huge vintage industry and people that are really into vintage, but this really gave new life to it. In fact, I saw, it's interesting, I saw a an ad on Instagram the other day, and it was, you know, a sponsored post. It was a partnership with Amazon Prime Video, and it was a store actually here in Miami, a vintage shop, and it was like, um, you know, are you something to the fact of, are you loving Mrs. Maisel? Well, come in and get some, you know, Mrs. Maisel thing. It was a travel site at uh, talked about different spots to visit in different cities, and this vintage shop in Miami was one of them. So it's even spurring pop culture things in terms of an interest in dressing from that era again and spurring business for vintage shops. So it's really interesting. All right. So what is your number four pick, Taji? My number four pick, oh gosh, is the Gail King interview with Al <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> you don't even have to say anything more than just the Gail King. Okay, we know. We know. Go ahead. If I have ever seen a more poised interview, he got up, chairs were flipped, tables were flipped, all sorts of things, and he was upset. She stayed right in that chair. She said, Robert, just like that, just like I said, Robert, that was the most calm cool and collected individual. No damn wonder she's raking in all those millions from CBS now. If you can do that with somebody who was on a rampage, imagine what you can do with other people. So that is my number four moment. I, the Gail King interview with R. Kelly. Wow. That, that, that interview was epic. And it, R. Kelly was clearly trying to get out, get his own Bravo show because he was, yes, he was, he was trying to become one of the real house dudes of Atlanta. He did. Um, it, it, it was crazy, but, but that changed the game for Gail King. Not that she wasn't known already. I mean, she already had a gig, but that brought her to the Barbara Walters echelon. That interview changed how a lot of people saw her, and 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 it could not have come at a better time because she was in renegotiation time, and then everybody came a-knocking at that door um, exactly. to try and steal her away from CBS, and CBS had to basically open up the vault to keep her, so it could not have happened at a better time. Yeah, exactly. She's and now she's evolved. I mean, that was never she's always been a fantastic journalist, but she now has evolved. People are like, oh, Oprah's best friend, Oprah's best friend. She has evolved from being simply Oprah's best friend into a journalist that is a, a force to be reckoned with. And of course, you know, those of us that know journalism know that she's great, but the public saw how great she was when she did that interview. So yay to Gail King. And that's my number four. Wow, that's yeah. an that's an excellent. Pick. Plus, that just that was the beginning of the end for R. Kelly. We got to talk about that the uh, the uh, documentary. Um, that was one of the great moments. That was an honorable mention, to say the least, because if it weren't for that documentary and that Gail King interview, I think that that man would still be walking on the around the streets, basically hanging around the 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 seesaws, teeter totters, um, uh, looking for dates. <laughs> 
Yeah, ex- exactly. And so you could you could throw that into the surviving R. Kelly documentary. Yeah. So All right. now that that's done, off of R. Kelly and Gail King, onto your number four pick. All right. Um, there was no way that this episode was gonna not be mentioned for me. It it hit me, and I was surprised at how hard it hit me. And um, this was a show that I was very hesitant about. It's the show is called Pose, and we reviewed it. And I was really nervous about this show because I thought, okay, who wants to watch a show about drag queens and 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 people that are um uh trans uh transgender in the 1980s because it's not going to be a good time that's for damn sure (laughs) no no it's not going to be the feel-good hit of the summer but oh my god how wrong was i um they they managed to infuse so much joy so much laughter so much life into those characters into that world and 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 make you root for them and the show was shockingly i think to a lot of people about family not the one that you're born into but the one that you create especially when you've been cast out by your own family so it was an absolute season one was an absolute dream uh, but some people complained about season uh the the one of the complaints that uh that came from season one where people felt like it was uh too much of a rose-colored glasses look at the life of transgender women of color in particular and um that was i think there was some truth to that but i was happy to go along with that because they're just like it's life is rough enough don't show me all how don't don't give me all the reality of how rough it can be but season two was like we got to give you a a stronger dose of reality than we have been normally giving you and the episode was called i never knew love like this before it was um uh, like I said before, in season two, I do not have the episode number handy. I will look for it. But anyway, um, so in the episode, uh, the can uh, I interrupt you for a minute? Sure. I'm sorry. I just need to let you know that this was my number two pick as well. So we might as well go ahead and talk about. It. <laughs> we might as well go ahead and just uh, well, you talk, talk about, about it, it while I look up what number episode. Do you have, do you know what number episode it was? I don't know what number of the episode. Well, you it talk was. about your remember. thoughts on it while I look for that information. Okay, as Kevin looks for that information, let me give you my thoughts on it. First of all, it was okay. It was twofold. So we'll talk about this, and then I have a second favorite moment from that show. I just put them together because it was the same show. Okay. So. Um, um, that the whole thing is Candy actually was working as, you know, a sex worker. And at that time, that was what there were very few options available. I mean, to be honest, still are in some in a lot of cases, very few options available to transgender women uh, and transgender men in terms of what they could do. So one of the few was sex workers. And in this one horrific episode, she or scene, she actually ends up getting killed um, during, uh, you know, one of the sexual, uh, during one of her, uh, I don't know, tricks, I guess is what it's called. Yeah. So she actually, um, did not contact usually, you know, the house, the, her housemate, they were co-house mothers with, I can't remember the other, um, the other girl's name. The, uh, the Latino I can't remember her name now were, either. I have it in my, I have right. it on my notes, but I basically, I'm, I'm busy trying to find the name, the, the, the right, episode right, right. number. So she calls and basically is like, you know, she calls Blanca and is like, well, Candy didn't 
call. And we always have this thing to call, you know, on the way home or whatever. Okay, it was season two, episode four. I just want to throw that in there. Okay, good. Season two, episode four. So I was like, I know it was earlier on in the episodes. So they go to the hotel room, you know, do, you know, track things down, find out that she was killed. And so obviously, like like Kevin said, they form their own family. So there's this whole thing. This is where, you know, you're like, oh, Candy's dead. Damn. But she doesn't really ever leave. She then becomes this kind of like conscious of or ghost of that appears to all the different people in um you know in her life and in that whole circle you know saying you know with the typical candy attitude <laughs> she had a terrible attitude but i guess that's what people really loved about her so the whole thing is at the end you know th- there's this whole in an episode before she gets into this whole thing with pray tell she says we need to have a lip sync competition that you know that's something that's big we need to do that pray tell and the board who do these balls shut her down and he's like by which and goes on so then in this episode where he had she ends up getting killed if there's a whole thing you know pray tell you know realizes they have a uh, tumultuous relationship but then ends up um naming these uh had there's a new category and it's going to be a lip sync category names it after her and so there's this whole thing of there in the funeral and then it becomes transformed the coffin goes into the ballroom and Candy goes into this whole never knew love like this uh, lip sync thing. Phenomenal. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, the moment. Uh, so, yeah, basically what you're saying is what was neat about it was. Uh, well, first, I want to get to the the Candy's death. I think it yeah, was so smart to have it done off screen. A, I'm glad we didn't have to see her be murdered. But the idea that so many um, uh, sex workers and um, uh and transgender women, especially of color, um, they they're killed all the time, and their and their deaths, you know, uh, go uh, unresolved. There's no, you know, the police do little to nothing. Um, there's uh, no justice for these women, and so to have Candy be killed in a way that, like, no, there will, and and all of her friends know. There will, there's, this is the end. There will be no resolution. There will not be anyone brought to justice for her murder. It's just, we've got to bury our friend and move on. And uh, I love the fact that basically Candy comes back as, like, I feel like the ghost of all the consciousness of all of her friends, their conscience. And what was neat about it was normally when people come back as a ghost, after they die in a movie or a film, they come back as the sweeter version of themselves or an idealized version of themselves. No. Uh, Candy came back with all the rough edges that she had in life. And she and the conversations she had with everyone were very real. It wasn't some kind of like, you know, um, like, oh, I, 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 you know, we were the best of friends. Like, no, we were never friends. But I respected you, bitch. You know, kind of thing. It was exactly. just like, it was, it, it was so real and um also th- what was neat was they brought back uh her parents um who we haven't seen and we and we learned about basically uh how they just didn't know what to do when they had this little boy who was saying that he was a little girl or that she was a little girl rather sorry um and um it was absolutely amazing the 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 the, the depth it went into in that hour plus episode and um but the culmination uh, was a the women coming together because the funeral home p- put 
put Candy in some tragic wig that some grandmother might wear. Yes. And they did her makeup horribly. They got, they jumped on her and they made her look as fierce as she possibly could. And then the, they broke like the, it was amazing how they the pallbearers basically pick up the casket and we think we're going to the cemetery as we're leaving the church and then we all of a sudden are walking into the ballroom and the pallbearers open the casket and candy comes out looking amazing and uh, there could not have been a more perfect song choice than uh, than Stephanie Mills I never knew love like this before because the whole episode was about the fact that she did not get the love the respect the family that she wanted in life uh and in death that she was getting what she didn't get in life was so it was it was bittersweet obviously but there was still so much joy infused in it and pathos and it, it was it was masterful. It really was an incredible moment of television. When I saw it, it was like it, it you, I could not not mention it. It moved me so. No, absolutely. It was extremely moving. It's um you, you know, you need some joy. There, there's so much going on in life now, <laughs> you know, that you needed some joy. So even though that joy came out of terrible circumstances, it it also says that, you know, for for the average person for most people you know life is not life may be hard and life may be tough for example you may be living in poverty but every day is not awful you know what i mean there are some yeah. joyous times and i think pose tries really hard to to do that so when people complain oh it's that well there are already enough shows about what was going on in the gay lesbian um transgender communities in New York City in the 1980s that are so sad. We don't need something else like that. And I don't think it would play well with audiences. So I agree with you on on, the, the, on this choice, definitely. Well, But commit, since we're on that, that's what was my number two. Can I? Oh, I, was, I just want to oh, mention it. Her, uh, her friend was Lulu, her, uh, I think her other house mother, I believe. Lulu, was, yes. Was yes, her yes, name. And, and, and they even talked about colorism and the fact that basically, even though they were both transgender women of color, that because of Candy's dark skin versus her house, you know, co-mother, um, that they were having very different experiences. Exactly. And how yeah. the world was treating them. And so it was uh, the the show got very very real. So it was it was an a- excellent episode. So what was the other moment from Pose that you wanted to talk about? Should I do that now or should I just wait till you I You want to wait for Okay, yeah. you want to save it. So, save so it for that your... that when we get to number 2 I'll Okay, let's something do that. To talk let's about. Save it. All right, so what is your number 3? Th- 3. Yes. So my number 3 is there two from the same show. The Rundown with Robin Feedy. I is is that technically this year? It is. It, did it happen in 2010 or was that 20 uh 2019 versus 2018? I thought it was 2019. I thought that was 2018, but go ahead. We'll 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 keep it loose. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. I you could have yeah. at least made it from the Black Lady Sketch Show because we know that was 2019. Right. You know what? Was... Maybe that's how I got confused. But okay, really, it was supposed to be the right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was 2018. Yeah, but so cause... what? We're gonna do it anyway. <laughs> 
Because this actually was, if you think about it, that's a precursor to what she did on the Black Lady Sketch Show and some of the sketches um, that not necessarily carried over, but, you know, the, the characters that she did. So from the rundown with Robin Vitti, my favorite two, the Handmade Tale, the Handmade Sales uh, parody that she did. Yes was a huge moment. And then the Afrofuturism segment where she ran down and spoke to people about what Afrofuturism is, what it means, and what it will mean. Those were two pivotal moments because one was funny and one was really informative. So those were my, although I somehow thought it was 2019. Hmm. <laughs> so do you want to share a little bit more about what the um uh what what you loved about the afrofuturism or what you loved about the um blessed is the baby hair the um <laughs> about the about the um yeah okay so the, the blessed parody. is the baby hair thing that's just um hilarious you know in and of itself but the fact is when the the husband or the 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 master or whatever he is in the show when you walk in and he's cleaning his sneakers with a toothbrush because that's what happens black men that are sneakerheads first of all they try not to wear their sneakers second of all if they do god forgive you if you step on them third of all they clean them with more care than anything else their house could be in shambles bathtub filthy dishes in the sink but their sneaker room will be impeccable and their well, the, well, the fact that you have like, a sneaker room a room dedicated just to sneakers is yeah that's pretty amazing yeah, a sneaker room or sneaker closet or whatever they keep i mean they take well i'm like if you would only take this much time when you took a shower you'd be great <laughs> <laughs> just saying so that's not everybody but sneakerheads in general tend to be very so when she he she walked in and he was cleaning the the, the sneakers with a toothbrush i'm like that is so real and then the afrofuturism thing i'm you know the academic side of me really loved that because for those people who don't know afrofuturism is basically you know like sci-fi it's not just black people in sci-fi but it's how black people imagine themselves in the future and how they live things out in the future and of course that includes things like sci-fi that includes things like technology so they're uh, a perfect example of that is black panther you know the movie black panther that is pure afro uh, afro um futurism so the fact that she you know black panther had you know just come out around that time not too long before and so because of that um this whole thing on afrofuturism came up which is great because i think nobody else really had that com conversation except for afrofuturists so the fact that she brought this up on a late night talk show is was really special and really great and they did an, a phenomenal job of breaking down what it was for the average person so those right. are mine Wow. For All the right. missed Interest, year. Interesting pick. So a little <laughs> off on when it happened. So my next pick is I oh, Love shut Lucy. Up. <laughs> I want to talk about my favorite moments of 2019. When she goes to this candy factory. It, oh, my God. Can you see my face? <laughs> I can hear your face. Good. All right, and when the All first, right, Kevin. When, when the man landed on the moon in 2019, it was so amazing. So, all, all right, right, Kevin, what is your number three <laughs> pick? Damn it! Okay. All right, this one is a is a surprise to to me, and it's going to be a surprise to a friend of mine when they hear me mention this because I was dragged kicking 
and screaming into watching this show. And um, I actually gave up on it after watching the the beginning of the first episode. I found it so incredibly disturbing. I'm like, I got to tap out. But I got dragged back, and um, I'm a better man for it. Um, okay, so the show is HBO's uh, The Watchmen. Ah. And um, the first episode, um, for those of you who didn't see it, it uh, uh, what basically just make like this isn't for me, not 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 in 2019. I can't I can't deal I can't deal as we have like you know Nazis with uh, tiki torches marching down streets. They um uh basically uh they they bring to light uh, uh an imp an, uh, a horrific uh dark part of uh america's history that a lot of people knew nothing about and it was the tulsa race massacre um where these white people basically just slaughtered uh anybody who was black that was in this town that was a uh, majority black and so the Watchmen kind of begins uh, telling that story and then how it plays out into um, a current day Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it was so, it was done very well, but just the reality, it's one thing to kind of hear about what happened, but to actually see, you know, it played out and acted out was just so intense. I was just like, I just, I'm not in the mood for a show like this. I can't deal with this right now with reality what's happening in our world right now so uh uh but anyway so um i was pushed and cajoled into watching uh more of it and i was just kind of like oh i'm not in the mood for another puzzle box show and for those of you don't know what a puzzle box show is it's a show where it's like you have to really think about it and there's all kinds of moving forwards and backwards in time and sideways in time and and there's all kinds of clues you have to look for and you have to watch things very intently because you can miss things and and this speaks to that and the fact that somebody's holding a purple cup has means a lot that symbolizes something that you need to be paying attention to and that oh my god that that was an art of this and that meant that this means that and like no i don't i'm not i'm not in the mood to watch a show with a sketch pad um <laughs> to try and make sure i'm catching everything <laughs> um so no um but i ended up watching it and i saw one of the most brilliant moments of television of this and i dare say any year and the episode uh was uh, uh was the one where we got the uh uh hooded justice episode where we kind of get the telling of uh we we kind we basically get a um uh, origin story of the hooded justice character um uh the the backstory of regina king's grandfather and so the episode was actually episode um eight of uh uh, uh episode eight of season one i believe and it's called uh this extraordinary being and in the episode I may have the number wrong. I think I have the number wrong, but I'll, I'll look it up uh, in a bit. If I'm wrong, I'll mention it later. But anyway, in the episode, um, Regina King's character uh, uh, has to, she ends up taking this drug called nostalgia, and uh, and how this, the drug works is it was designed to help people with Alzheimer's, and so it's supposedly made individually for each person, where it basically pulls out your memories and you can and you take it back, you give it to person, and it helps main, maintain their memory. You're not supposed to take someone else's nostalgia. She takes her grandfather's nostalgia and she moves through his life and. It was amazing 
not only the story that's being told about how um, we see him as a child and we see him, uh, uh, his mother worked in the silent uh, movie house and she played the piano. And we see him as a child watching a movie, a Western, a silent Western, and where the hero um, uh, basically wears a, a mask and and he saves these uh, these people. And then when he takes his mask off, it's revealed that he's a black man. And so these white people that he saved are shocked. And so that something about that stays with him. And um, as he's faced with more and more injustices through his life, he ends up becoming uh, a masked Avenger, uh, hooded justice. And um, he puts makeup around his eyes so people be- uh, believe that he's a white man who saved them. He's a police officer and he's dealing with all co- he's dealing with this uh, 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 this racist underground uh, Ku Klux Klan like group uh, that's a part of the police department. But what's amazing about this episode were just so many things it's i can't even mention them all but the camera work there are so many beautiful things that basically speak to what's happening regina king reliving these memories so there'll be a scene where we see a young version of her grandfather talking to someone and the camera slowly pans uh from behind him uh, in a circle and we're seeing the person he's talking to and then we're seeing both of the two people uh, face to face and the camera moves further until the camera is going behind the head of the person he's talking to and when the camera gets on the other side we're seeing that person talking to Regina King wearing the exact same clothes that her grandfather was wearing and the camera keeps dancing around them and it keeps moving between her grandfather and Regina King there are so many shots like that there's so many echo shots where you'll see something that happened in the past and how it echoes into the present and it was beautiful it was masterful it was transcendent it moved me so you could literally you don't have to watch any other episode of this series just watch that episode and i i defy you not to be moved uh, what it says about racism, uh, what it says about homophobia, what it says about self-hatred, and what it says about um, uh, the righteous indignation and the hatred and the bile that comes from being treated like less than. Uh, and the depths of what humanity can become when people succumb to uh, hatred it's 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 beautiful it's absolutely beautiful Dis- it's it's despairing uh but it speaks to the human spirit and people soldier on through the darkest things um we see we even learn how um her grandparents met and that was a shocking thing about the reveal of that uh, just exquisite 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 I, I've heard such great things about, um, the Watchmen, but you know, it's on HBO. So. I, I, I knew that you hadn't seen it because of that, but, um, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, if you have a friend that lives locally that has HBO, um, or has an HBO account, they're willing to lend you. I say you need to, if nothing else, watch that episode and i want to make it make um uh it's episode six of season one um uh this extraordinary being 
it the title could not be more apt I'm telling you, the cinematography. Um, now, if they did get cinematography awards for television uh, on the Emmys, then oh, they would. They this show would absolutely get it. One of the most beautiful, arresting imagery I have seen, and I can't tell you when. I can't tell you when I've seen imagery more arresting than I saw in this episode. Wow. So if you yeah. see nothing else of it, you've got to see, just see that episode and tell me, I defy you not to be moved. Oh, I'm sure I'll be moved. I'm going to have to get my, gather myself together. Cause you know, de- like you said, dealing with that type of thing, uh, I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's such- rough, but I'm telling you, you will come away. You will, you will be, I think forever changed by it. Well, then I'm probably not the one who needs to watch it. There's some other people out there who need to watch it. They need to be forever changed. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, Dodgy. So- oh, okay, so um, that was your third, right? So yeah. Yes. Okay. So what is your number two? Yeah. My number two pick um, is connected to Pose, the museum heist from the very first <laughs> episode is amazing. So for those people who don't watch polls or don't remember at first, you know, there weren't all these separate houses. Everybody was in the house of, was it abundance? I think. Yeah, it was but the wasn't house that 28 again to actually you're dipping in 2018 for our 2019 special. Wait, was that 2018? Yes. That was season one. 20 season one happened in 2018. It did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? It it their 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 shows are you know running now, and I'm like, oh, this episode, and I forgot that it was in 2018. So, all right, that I do have another one, but let's go to your number two. No, pick, no, let's go and then, let's go to your other number two. If you have a if you have a second one, because I was gonna basically say before we do our number ones, if we have any honorable mentions, you want to try and squeeze in or something. Well, no, go ahead because I need to make sure that this one next one is actually 2018. <laughs> So 2019. So go ahead. All right. Um. Okay. Uh. Uh. Big Little Lies season two. Um. Okay. The fact that a you already have these incredible. Uh. The cast was already amazing. The women that you already had in it. You the Reese Reese Witherspoon. Um. Uh, Nicole Kidman. And um, I can't remember anybody else's name. My my uh, brain is um, 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 Mary Louise uh, Parker, I think. Okay. Um, anyway, but uh, okay. So, but but the what was amazing was not only uh, Meryl Streep, of course, Meryl Streep being added to the cast, absolutely amazing. But the part that was the most jaw dropping moment of that season was the courtroom battle. Between Nicole Kidman's character um, to keep custody from uh, Meryl Streep, who is suing to get custody of her grandchildren, uh, her twin grandchildren, because her uh, her daughter-in-law seems to be unraveling. And we, the audience, think we have an idea of how much Nicole Kidman is unraveling until we get to the court case and we see, oh wait, there's more? Because we got a hint where we saw that Nicole Kidman had acted out where she had had like anonymous sex with some rando guy that she meets at a bar. And just like, well, you know, your husband was beating you, he got pushed down some stairs, and you're afraid that you might be accused of murder. And so, yeah, you, you know, you might hook up. 
You can understand. You know, okay. had a couple of drinks. Um, and the bartender was not hard on the eyes. So yeah, okay, we can all we can all understand. But when this trial happens, no, that bartender was not the only, uh, let's say, uh, indiscretion or lack of judgment when it comes to uh, closeness time. And we learn about like uh, her um, other incidences that happen, other things that happen. So you think that it can't get any more than that because the humiliation, Nicole Kidman was going for her Emmy when she's being humiliated and being bombarded with the different men and the image. Because uh, um, uh, Meryl Streep, that's another thing. If Meryl Streep is your mother-in-law, you better walk the straight and narrow because she will hire an investigator and get pictures of all of your shenanigans. She will have, she will bring receipts of all the rando hookups and the times that she brought your kids home and there's some stranger basically uh, coming out of your bedroom half dressed while you're passed out. So she brings receipts. So you thought that was enough, but you know what? Apparently Nicole Kidman can get receipts as well. And the shocking revelation of why her husband was an only child was like a what moment when it when it when it's revealed that uh, Meryl Streep's character had issues with her own temper, which speaks to why her son had issues with his temper. But her losing her temper at one of her children causes her to have a car accident and get one of those children killed. And so smartly after hearing that, it's just like, yeah, even though Nicole Kidman can't seem to keep her panties on, we're going to let her kids stay with her. So, excellent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was amazing <laughs> television. Amazing. But anytime you have Meryl Streep and, and, and Reese Witherspoon just... And and Nicole Kidman just locking heads. Meryl Streep locked horns with everybody on that series, and it was amazing to see. As if we didn't already know what she can do, but just her coming to television for the first time, it was worth it. it, it she she came to the right show. It was it was amazing television. So I'd watch Meryl Streep, you know, reading from the phone book if they still existed. But um, just absolutely amazing. Uh, great moment of television, great shocking courtroom reveal. Cause I was like, my jaw hit the floor when it was like, wait, what? He was that was what happened to the brother. Okay. So it was amazing. Wow. Wow. Okay. And again, HB, I know you just, so, <laughs> so I have nothing constructive to add to the conversation, to but nothing to add, but to just clap for you and say, yes, because uh, I didn't see it. <laughs> All right. Okay. So what is your number? One? Is this your number one? No, two, because remember the, uh, for okay. some, some okay. Reason. Yeah. What, so what year does it, what year is this for 1956? 1970 for your, uh, <laughs> So I'm not surprised. there were there were a couple of things I know we get to honorable mentions. Um, we we could talk about a little bit more, but um, the Grey's Anatomy episode with and I don't remember which episode number it is, but from this season, and it's um, I think I think the name of the episode was called Silent All These Years. Oh and yes, the end, the very end. Like there's this wall of women there that was uh basically saying you are not alone you're heard you're believed and um it it was actually a direct response 
to what was going on um, with uh, what's his name Weinstein and 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 all of that, and then like Brett Kavanaugh. So really, remember Christine Blasey Ford? She just text uh, had just testified about being assaulted by sexually assaulted by Brett Kavanaugh, and yes. despite the fact that she was poised and detailed and meticulous. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh was still confirmed, confirmed as a US, yeah. Pr- yeah, U.S. Supreme Court justice. So Gray's anatomy created this scene to tell victims of sexual assault that consent matters and that they matter. So um, we see uh, this woman, I, it's her name, Joe, I can't remember, being um, wheeled into uh, surgery and alongside as she's being wheeled are like all not all but many of the women doctors nurses etc at um gray gray memorial is that the name of the hospital um that they the name is not the same as it used to be it's they changed sloan, it right it's sloan gray something i don't remember sloan the name gray of the something right so um you see her and it that 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 solidarity and i think that was a very that's a very pivotal moment now again these things are moments and do they really have any any power beyond being a moment in television and pop culture and and i think this is television's way of of addressing that and i think it's important because art has always spoken to the conditions that happen in the world and conditions that happen in society but just like brett kavanaugh this fool still getting confirmed what power does that have? But I don't think that that necessarily matters. I think that it, they made a statement and a commentary on it, and that's what matters. Yeah, no, that was a miraculous episode. Grays has been firing on all cylinders um, this season. It is just, it is amazing for as old as that show is that it continues to be so relevant. And it's actually, I think, uh, reinvigorated, and I think it's some of its best episodes are happening right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I had stopped kind of watching it uh, for a while, just because you know you get busy on Thursday nights and you you forget. But then you know you get drawn drawn back in. Um, so appointment television is not necessarily dead. All right. So what is your number one pick? Because you kind of you know I'm no, so but, confused. <laughs> so, so what, what was your that was a, well, was no, that, no, your that was my mention, number two. Was, no, I don't that, even understand what we're doing now. That was my so, number two. <laughs> So hold on, that was my number two pick because remember I made the mistake with with the the uh, highest thing. So that was my number two pick. So now we're going to your number two. You didn't do yours yet, did you? Okay, no, I thought no. I did my number two, but you know I'm gonna do my honorable mention and then I'll do my number one after you do your number one. Okay. My honorable mention has to uh, go to Constance Wu. Um, oh <laughs> when when she um her show got renewed uh for what turned out to be its final season i think it was like season six or something like that and she was not happy about it and she publicly went off about it uh being renewed <laughs> and people came for her and deservedly so deservedly so do not publicly complain about oh god i'm forced to work a job where i work basically you know uh three to four hours a week and uh i mean a day uh uh, a day and um i get paid like forty fifty thousand dollars a week 
So just like boo to the who. Um, so it was really hard to feel bad for her. It's so hard. In fact, I didn't. I just resented her for uh, publicly complaining. She took it down and she was she was for some reason shocked that people were uh, annoyed with her for complaining about having a job where she makes tens of thousands of dollars a week. Absolutely. And that was one of my honorable mentions as well. How very dare you, Constance Wu. Number one, the fact that you have, th- th- this is a great problem to have. The fact that you had something else that you could do um, and, you know, this got renewed. How many people have that problem? How many actors have that problem? There's so many actors that this is their one thing and they're in a recurring role and whatever, and they don't get anything else. So the fact that you have this problem is a wonderful problem to have and how very dare you, number one. Number two, how many Asian American actors are really fully working right now and you are, you have the role. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, that this is right. There should be way more roles, uh, you know, way more uh, Asian American actors out there that we see. So this happened to be about an Asian American family. So obviously, you know, you, you have this role. But how many other Asian and Asian American actors are able or are gainfully employed right now? So the fact it's not lost on many people when they have this privilege. So how very dare you, number two? Number three, do you know how many people don't make $40,000 a year? Not to talk of per episode? How very dare you, number three? So I was very annoyed when I saw that. When I see people who are privileged, you know, complaining about their privilege. My thing is, you know what, complain. I'm not saying it's not an issue. And I could see, you know, from like, damn, I really want to do this show, but I can't because of whatever. But you don't take to social media and publicly complain about it. And please don't be surprised when then people drag you. Yeah, she, now, that's one thing. You complain to other actors who understand the fact that you were that you were basically there's a thing called like second position where if you un, if you're under contract for something like say I have Tachi for under contract to be on TV channel if TV channel gets canceled then she's free to go do this other project so when it when she thought that that was going to be the season that they had just done was the final season of her show she was like okay i'm gonna be able to go and do this other thing but then it's like it's renewed which means that she's no longer available to do this other thing so i can understand if she's disappointed so you complain to your other friends you call your other friends who also are making 50 60 thousand dollars a week and they will they will you can cry on their shoulder and they will give you tissue and make you a cup of tea because they will feel bad for you but we will not we will will not not. and don't and still will not and so she had to kind of retract and go but you know what just because social media exists doesn't mean you always have to talk just say nothing i mean i look at it from the other perspective wow i actually have two things that i'm a contender for this is really great she could look she could have looked at it from that perspective but she chose to take the bratty actor perspective so you have no love for me Constance yeah, no, my, my, my shoulder, neither one of my shoulders is available for crying, Constance. Exactly. Will. In fact, I jerk it violently away as you approach <laughs> <me. laughs> 
Okay, another honorable mention I wanted to mention really quickly was just the season uh, two or the second chapter of Sabrina, The Chilling Adventures, and the shocking uh, uh, reveal of uh, the parentage of Sabrina and what uh, came to being of uh, how she came to be and everything uh, and why the uh, Satan has has it so bad for her and and also the backstory we got of her teacher was uh, of of her guidance counselor uh, was amazing amazing when we go all the way back to the beginning of time absolutely amazing uh, so I could not let could not let that uh, go unmentioned uh, chilling adventures Sabrina can't wait for the third chapter Okay, third chapter. And of course, and then uh, Robin Thede's triumphant return to television uh, with a, a Black, Black Lady Sketch Show. Sketch show. I was, yeah, just had to yeah. mention that. I would. I. I. I'm still bitter that that the rundown a should have never been on BET. They wouldn't know a good thing if it slapped them in the face repeatedly. Um, like basically like those uh sound editors did to me. Um, <laughs> exact same Lord. kind of beatdown. <laughs> they wouldn't know. You look when we fought, we you we are never going to get good sound editing when we <laughs> <laughs> never. It's all because of you. All continue. because of me. They will continue to come for me. But anyway, but they're great. You guys can do great work. But anyway, um, oh, <laughs> so, so I'm absolutely uh, uh uh that I wanted that show to come to HBO. I wanted I wanted that show because not only was it funny she did great funny sketches like she's doing on black lady sketch show but she did stories like the afrofuturism she did stories in a kind of a style that you would see on um uh, a show like the daily show that took things to a level and brought information and brought stories to light that wouldn't be brought to light anywhere else and so it is an absolute loss yes not and having she that also show don't forget, she also gave shine to some musicians that you may not have known oh about. Oh, my God. Some the, phenomenal the, the, musicians. The things that she added to my playlist. Do you, you, don't know what you, you don't know what you did for my Spotify, woman. You have no idea. Yes, I added Michael um, because of that. I added um, Sticky because of that. I mean, I was like, wow. Yeah, so, absolutely amazing. Uh, woman, I I hope that if HBO was smart, there's like you can do more than one show. A Constance Wu has taught us all that lesson. You can do a, you can do more than one <laughs> or thing. Or not. <laughs> so I hope that they will bring her. They will also bring the rundown back because I always felt like it would be paired excellently with um uh uh what's the name of his uh, what is uh, it called? right after um. Uh, What's it called? Um, no, not I don't want real uh, with Bill Maher. It's be per, uh, John Oliver's show. Yeah, no, that's what um, I was about to say. Yeah, um, I can't remember. Like what it's right called. before, like as a lead into John Oliver. Last week tonight. Yeah, she, she would be, she would last be week great. Yeah. after last week tonight. So that would I'm still keeping my fingers crossed. Please HBO, please. Yeah, all no, right. I am all for it. So oh, do you have any one, honorable mentions before you give your number one time? Yeah, one last honorable mention. The episode, you know, Orange is the New Black is over now. And I was like the type of person that I don't want to watch a show about prison, women in prison. But you, it drew you in because of the, the stories. So there was a, the last episode, basically, uh, Maritza, who was um, Maritza's I think she was, no, she's Colombian. So she's of Colombian descent. And uh, she was, I don't, 
I think she got put in prison. She was in Miami, got put uh, in that prison for, uh, I think they were stealing cars or something like that. So she ends up, um, after the prison riot that they have, they end up getting moved to like different facilities, but you know, she gets out. So she's out, she's clubbing, she's doing all sorts of things. And then, you know, instead of laying low and doing things, she goes out. So what happens is there's an ice raid on one of the clubs she's at. And she was like, oh, I didn't bring my, you know, my ID or whatever. So they end up taking her. And so there's this whole like final, you know, thing is to try and find her mother. But, you know, she's uh, estranged from her mother. They don't talk. So she's like, you know, one of the girls on this, she's like, please try and find my mother so that I can, you know, you know, I can get my birth certificate. So what ends up happening is they find out that um, they find her mother, one of um, her friends on the inside finds her mother, calls her and says, uh, she was like, Maritza was, you know, she's undocumented. She doesn't have a birth certificate because she was born in Colombia and came when she was like a baby. So she's undocumented. She's been living there undocumented. And so what ends up happening, you know, she's trying to get a lawyer to stay in the country, that type of thing. And there's some crazy stuff that was going on there. So what happens is she ends up getting deported back to Colombia, a country that she never, she doesn't remember and hasn't been to since, you know, so she knows no one. And what happens in that final scene is, you know, all these people are getting deported back and one by one, they kind of disappear. And Maritza is the last one to disappear. And it's in, it was important because it kind of sheds light on the situation with undocumented um, students and stuff. I Teaching at universities, I've had a lot of students that have done like speeches and stuff on being undocumented. And so I see, you know, what happens and I see what they go through. They're brought to this country when they're little and they contribute, they work, they, they go to school, they do everything that they say you're supposed to do to be a productive member of society. And then they're in danger of this type of thing of being deported. And we have an administration now that doesn't really give a damn. So, you know, there's no respite in that case. So that just really, and the whole episode in general, wasn't just about Maritza, it shed light on these people, you know, that are being held by ICE and the things that happen and, you know, just the indignities uh, being suffered. So that's my honorable mention. Wow. Okay. You know what? You made me have to mention another honorable mention that speaks to what you just said. Um, uh, another, a comedy took a very serious tone uh, in 2018 in its finale uh, was uh, Superstore. They had a character yes. who was deported by ICE. Um, um, uh, Mateo, I believe is his name. And he was deported and it got really real. And the show is normally kind of farcical. But uh, it, that show took a very dark turn, and I was surprised at how effective it was in dragging us in, uh, from this comedy into a very stark reality. So uh, I'm glad that uh, uh, these shows are shining lights uh, uh, on a subject that, sadly, a lot of people either don't know about or, or care to ignore. Absolutely. Absolutely. Until it comes to your front door, you don't care. All right. All right. So what's your number one pick, Dodge? Okay. My number one pick is actually from this century, okay? It is the Baby Yoda reveal from The Mandalorian. <laughs> that is my top moment of 2019. Oh 
because you don't expect it at all. So if you don't know, for those of you, I don't know, you're sleeping under a rock now. Yes, you may say, well, you refuse to pay for any pay services other than what you have. How did you see The Mandalorian? Aha! One week free trial from Disney+. Plus. So... <laughs> Waited for a couple of episodes to populate and bam, did the free trial. I saw, I saw three episodes of The Mandalorian. And by the way, I'm loving it. It's a great show. And so it's actually Star Wars, The Mandalorian. And so it's about um, basically um, Bounty Hunter follows the, uh, a Mandalorian Bounty Hunter hunter beyond the reaches of the new republic and so in one of his assignments of bounty hunting he comes upon this like it looks like a, a capsule more so like a, a ball a floating ball and it you know you could see maybe there's something in it some kind of um creature or something in it and he reaches it and looks inside and the next episode is what we see it's baby yoda actually known as the child but everybody knows him affectionately as baby yoda the most adorable being ever i think we've needed in the star wars world we've needed another uh r2d2 there's no other character that people have been able to kind of connect with kind of you know besides i mean ewoks people don't yeah but people needed an r2 and yeah we didn't know there was yoda. no you know the ewoks were adorable they were giant teddy bears but they we didn't know there was not a ewok that was like oh we love jeff no right. it was just not so jeff, yeah the it's, ewok it's, exactly they're, they're just ewok. the ewok they were just plural <laughs> there were there was not one ewok that we were a fan of like like what with uh with chewbacca when we finally get we finally get a glimpse of a world where his home planet in one of these movies where we see a bunch of other chewbacca's uh wookies i should say not yes. chewbacca's um um, and they then, um, uh, so there, there, it, it's not the same thing. I get, I get what you're saying. So the baby Yoda is, is singular and we're seeing, and I, I don't, I don't know if it's going to turn out. To, is this back in time? Is this when Yoda was young or is it, is, is just another, uh, is this just an infant Ye that is of the same species or race that Yoda is? Okay. So from what I'm understanding, I was thinking this, so this baby Yoda is 50, but it's just uh, called, it's not even baby Yoda. He is the child. So it could very well be, if I'm not mistaken, that this is someone that is the same race or species because he's supposed to be 50 years old. Yoda is like however many uh, hundreds uh, years old. And so I thought that this was just like the precursor, but apparently it Wait, baby be... Yoda is 50? Yeah. Okay, so that just they so they age at a completely different rate than than uh, mortals do. Wow, they age differently. Yes, yeah. so Baby Yoda is fifty. What? So basically, if you're babysitting, you could you will die before, and you'll still be a baby. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's why you have to have your generations of sitters for Baby Yoda set up well. <laughs> Oh my god! That 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 is this is so evil of Disney. The reason why they did this is because they can literally be generations of Baby Yoda merch. One of the biggest mistakes Marvel did was when they had Baby Groot. Baby Groot turned into surly teen Groot too quickly, way so, too quickly. Because exactly, you know, I don't so, like this uh, Groot. Yeah, I don't like teen uh, uh, teen angst Groot, but I everybody love Baby Groot, and so yes. no Baby Yoda will be Baby Yoda long after we're all dead and gone. <laughs> Generation, well, if, your great grandchildren will be loving Baby Yoda. 
if Disney is smart enough to do, remember, they didn't come out with merch for Baby. They're just now, like, I'm just now seeing, uh, I don't know what store it is, has uh, the Baby Yoda on sale for, like, $24.99. But they had no merch when this first yeah, came they out. Yeah, they were, uh, it was, I'm stunned at how normally Disney... When it comes to merch, they are like Johnny on everything is tied together. Like Frozen Two, they had all this merch out like um, weeks to months before. Uh, Arendelle Aqua was like shoving it down everybody's throat. Arendelle Aqua, Arendelle Aqua, um, and but. For some reason, they were caught completely blindsided by the magic that is Baby Yoda. How could they not know that that was going to be a thing? Somebody needs to be fired. That was a ball drop to the highest extent. Yeah, uh, that was a that was huge dumb. mistake. Huge Absolutely. mistake. Well, I can't believe that you got Disney Plus before I did. Oh, yeah, uh, just for a I week. Was, just I for was a holding, week. Yeah, I was holding out for some kind of crazy Black Friday deal, and the deals were not crazy. Well, I because they they can't give you a Black Friday deal because they've bloody given uh, Disney Plus to every Verizon customer who has, like, a premium plan. So they get a free year. They can't give it to you, too, so you get your little <laughs> week and be happy. <laughs> So, but check it out. If you have not signed up for the free week trial of Disney Plus and check out The Mandalorian, Baby Yoda is, I mean, it's a great series anyway, but Baby Yoda steals the show. It's called The Mandalorian, but it needs to be called The Baby Yoda Show. <laughs> That's, he's going to have a spinoff. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. So, ex ex excellent, excellent pick. I can't wait to see Baby Yoda. I've only seen him in GIFs. Oh, yeah, no, no, you've got to see him in person. You will be drawn in, just like how you loved Mooncake. <gasps> Mooncake. <laughs> oh, my God. Honorable mention. Season two of Final Space. Of Final Fire. Space, yeah. Fire. Okay, you got to see it, people. All right. <laughs> so what is your number one pick of 2019? Okay, there was, this was... There was no way that this wasn't going to be my number one pick. I I didn't want it to be, but it just there's just no way because there was literally so much, and I had to narrow this down just to come up with one ish moment, and it has to be uh Game of Thrones the longest night, uh episode uh season eight uh episode three. And that uh, uh, it's the it's the uh, the Night King and the army uh, and his army arrive at Winterfell. Winter has been coming for all the whole series. Well, winter was absolutely here in that episode. Uh, and the great battle begins. That episode had so much the battle, the uh, the 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 all the moving parts of it. It was like a Swiss watch. There was so much moving uh in in front and behind the surface. There were so many epic. Um, there was a shot where basically um uh, uh all of these soldiers uh are going to go off into the night and um I can't remember what the what the sorceress's name is but she basically casts a spell and lights all of their swords ablaze in this super black night and they go charging on horseback into the night to face off against this army of uh frozen uh dead zombies and 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 then all of a sudden you just see 
all of those swords extinguished uh, and just the night becomes black again. And it just lets you know how futile this endeavor is. How when you're fighting an army of uh, of the dead, you can't you can't stop them no matter how many mortal people you have. And it just the carnage and how it just they kept coming and the futility and how dark it was getting. It was getting darker and darker and so many people were going. I'm just like, oh my god, wow. what's gonna happen? But then, Arya Stark basically swooped in to save the day and destroy the Night King. Because if you destroy the Night King, all the other, all his whole army, uh, army falls. And what was amazing about a, what was amazing about that was there was a hint to how Arya would kill him. In the early episodes, when Arya was a little girl, the actress plays Arya, uh, uh, Maisie. I can't remember what her last name is. When she was a little girl, where this this whole thing about having a knife in one hand and somebody grabbing your hand and dropping the knife and then catching it in your other hand, and that's basically what happens with the Night King, and she manages to kill him, and it was amazing. What was also amazing was the fallout, because there was a lot of blowback on social media about this particular thing, because some people were trying to call um, uh, Arya Stark, the character, a Mary Sue, and a lot of people, uh, Mary Sue um, has a lot, there's a lot of different definitions of what a Mary Sue is, but part of the definition that's a very sexist definition is the idea of where you have a female character who basically all of a sudden uh, uh, saves the day or it becomes super selfless when they don't really have the skills or the knowledge or know-how and it's just like it's just a writer's contract that has a woman actually saving everybody when it really should be a man that saves everyone and so a lot of people who I believe were absolutely sexist will had a real problem with Arya being the one who destroyed the Night King because it felt like it was all leading up to Jon Snow being the one to destroy the Night King, an epic battle between the two of them. And it, and it ended up being Arya. And so the crazy thing is, we watched Arya from after season one, her whole journey has become been, been about becoming a badass when she's kidnapped and she's kidnapped by the Hound and she's learning the ways of basically being a killer. A hired gun is what he was. Then she uh, uh, goes in and, and uh, to, uh, to be trained by the... Uh, what are they called? The people without faces, the the uh, the, the the god with many faces, or whatever, uh, the, the the god of many faces. She goes tra- trained by this this uh, legendary uh, religion of assassins, uh, where they can basically uh, take a people's. They can put a they can put a mask on them and have it become real and be become anybody. Take on the guise of anyone and to kill people. And so the idea that it was stunning at the end that she was actually the one that killed the Night King is like we watched her train for this for years so it's absolutely purely sexism that people felt like oh well there's no way that she should be able to be the one that could do it it's just like please take several sexist seats Mm. sexist or sexy seats sexist seats now talk about sexy and disturbing Uh, before that episode we actually see Arya lose her virginity which was very empowering because she was the one that chose uh, because of where it was and who she wanted to lose her virginity to before the epic battle because it was looking like you know she goes I'm not going out without you know getting a little taste Uh, because (laughs) just before the epic battle like yeah let's just let's let's do this Uh, which was great but it was very disturbing because there was nudity that to me was gratuitous 
gratuitous and not needed. We did watch Maisie grow up. So I, I feel like uh, those of us who weren't perverts did not need to see her topless or mm. bottomless. We're oh, cool. both? Yeah. Keep, I believe we, yeah, I believe we see a bit of both. Um, so anyway, uh, but the actress was amazing. The character was amazing. But the, but the, the, the moment when that whole thing with the Night King happened was epic. I mean, you could hear audible gasps everywhere. And one of the coolest things about it was people recorded people's reactions uh, on different like places like uh bars and stuff like that and seeing the moment when her knife when the when the night king grabs her by the throat and the knife falls out of her hand and everybody's like no and then she catches it in the other hand and was like oh my god wow it was was so epic that sounds like a real moment that I it was sh- absolutely epic. If, if you, you now it's on HB, I mean on on YouTube. I'm okay. telling you, search for uh, Aria Night King and just watch that moment and and see that there's literally vid- tons of videos of people's reactions. And it was one of the most. I watched so many reactions. I can't tell you how incredible that moment was. So it had to be my number one moment of television in 2019. Okay. Well, I mean, you sound really excited about it. Unfortunately, I can't share in the excitement because, you know. (laughs) HBO. HBO. Yeah. (laughs) So, but, you know, even with then, even with the free trials, I never got drawn into the whole GOT universe. I tried and I was like, meh. So I'm glad that you're excited about it. I, I tried. You know how much I love television. So I really tried to to like and be. I'm like, oh, mm, okay. Well, so I'm happy that it worked out well for you. <laughs> okay. And that is about it. That concludes our top five TV moments of 2019. Even though there may have been more than five. <laughs> well, come on now. They know with us. I, anybody who listens to TV channeling knows that there's never just five of anything. Yeah, you this isn't this your first now. TV channeling rodeo, people. You know, you know what you you know what you were coming into. You, you know what was you know what you're going to get when you showed up here. And if you didn't, congratulations, you've been indoctrinated. So. <laughs> All right, Tachi. Speaking of uh, the show, where can people listen to TV channeling? Oh gosh, and I gotta get out my list because we're in a bunch of different places. You can listen to us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, we are on iHeartRadio. We are on TuneIn Radio. We are on uh, WJMSRadio.com every Tuesday and Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. And if you can't remember any of that, just go to our Newly retooled website, tvchanneling.com, and you can listen to episodes there. Yeah, we're so excited about our brand new website. You can check out our social media on our tvchanneling.com website, uh, our Twitter our Twitter account, as well as our Instagram account. You can check out our bios. You can learn and more about- yeah, our, uh, oh, you can learn more about us, links to all of our social media, as uh, well as uh, our, our most current episodes and our, our incredibly rich and deep back catalog. <laughs> back catalog. <laughs> you have to whisper it, I guess. <laughs> and, you know, while you're there, while you're listening, and, and you know, you can always do, because we're also like on Pocket Casts and uh, uh, Overcast, a bunch of different other ones as well. We are on your favorite 
podcast listening app. While you're there, go ahead and subscribe. That way you get episodes as they drop and you don't even have to worry about, oh, well, let me go and see if it, no, you'll get notified. And then uh, follow us, subscribe or follow and leave a review. If you are enjoying everything you're hearing, which I'm guessing you are because you're still listening, go ahead and leave a nice review for us. We would appreciate it. Excellent point, Tachi. Why would they be still listening if they weren't like, you're a masochist if you're still listening and you don't like this show. Basically. (laughs) So I'm assuming you still like it and we're happy you do because we do this for you. Thank you so much for listening. It's not lost on us that you take the time to listen and we're going to sign off and let you get back to doing whatever it is that you were doing before. I'll sign off this way. Bye from Tachi. And goodbye from Kevin. And remember, if you're watching it in 2019 and 2020, we're talking about it. Unless it's on HBO. Cheers! (laughs) Bye, cheapskates.